Screenshot swarm. He's muted himself. Somebody oh, is muted. Oh, God. <laughs> Who's muted? Am I muted? <laughs> yes. You were muted. You were muted. No, <laughs> oh, no I'm not. All right. Uh -oh. <laughs> Let's try that again. There we go. And there's a cat. Uh, hi, everybody, and welcome to the Bent Podcast. I unfortunately mute myself because I'm a jackass, but you already knew that. My name is Shartan. I am joined by Mikey. And let's see if I can get this straight this time. Wayne, huh? And Brenna. And our special guest for the evening, welcome, Miss Dr. Landon Knoll. I'm sorry. Good, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on your time zone and latitude, from your 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 friendly astronomer who is here to talk to you about uh, what the James Webb Space Telescope is designed to do. I hope you're all doing well, and uh, and we will be uh, focused on uh, what the telescope is is hoping to do. We're, we're yeah, less than uh, a minute in, uh, and you've got a, a, a focus joking. Are, are <laughs> yes. we uh, are we uh, are we allowed to ask you questions about the Don't Look Up movie? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that the telescope was designed to deal with uh, with the objects that close to Earth. Uh, in fact, uh, it's 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 actually designed to keep away from Earth because Earth is Earth and the Moon are big glowy balls that are that are quite obnoxious if you're trying to observe in the place that the telescope is designed to observe. So, answer is no. Um, it, it 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 can't see things about looking up. There are other telescopes designed to do that, but James Webb is not one of those. Okay. So uh, let's let's just get into the weeds then. Uh, what is the telescope designed to do? Well, the James Webb Telescope is designed to observe primarily in what we call the infrared. You're familiar with the rainbow, colors of the rainbow, right? And and in in that um, in in the colors of the rainbow. Um, the James Webb can only see the orange and red visible part of the spectrum, but it goes way down into the uh, into the infrared weeds. Um, so, if we think about in terms of of you know wavelengths of light, and I'll use it in 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 called um, in 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 micrometers goes you know normally you can see from about 0.3 to about 0.7, maybe. 0.75. That that that's that's your visual range, right? Between 0.3 and about 0.75. Um, James Webb goes from 0.6, so that's just the the the, the orange red part, down to 28.3. So it actually it, your 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 visual spectrum is is one octave. You think about it in terms of of frequencies, one octave, and James Webb goes down several octaves below. So we actually could see several rainbows, but way down infrared. And, and there's a very good reason for that. The things that it's hoping to study are primarily glow down in that, that longer wavelength than what you can see. And, and there, there are a couple of good reasons for that. Um, some of the objects it's designed to see are very far away in our expanding universe. They might be, might be, Stars that are glowing in visible red because they've been redshifted. They're so far away; they've been redshifted. They've been redshifted way down into uh, wavelengths 
that are they're too long for you to visibly see. Um, other things it's designed to see are, are objects that are not as hot as stars, like planets or planetary systems that are in a process of accreting to form, right? Things that are that are that are that are cooler than a surface of a star. Um, and so those those things that are predicting in infrared are in infrared are what it's designed to see. The reason why it wasn't built on the ground is our atmosphere interferes with that stuff. Uh, the atmosphere is actually quite opaque to uh, a number of those those wavelengths in that in that span. You know, from the twenty-eight point three up to point six, there's a, there's there's spots where they have the atmosphere just looks like like a, a a fog. Other things are like water vapor, um, glows in those those things. So so you actually have that have emitters, and even the Earth itself um, has a temperature and it glows. So one thing they they they, they couldn't put it on the ground, even on a high mountain. Uh, because the the glow of of Earth would just swamp those 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 detectors, and and then the atmosphere, the even even very thin water vapor stuff and dust has a temperature and, and glows. Park it can't be it couldn't be near Earth orbiting Earth um, for a couple reasons. Um, one is that the telescope itself would would be its own source of brilliance. So imagine you build a telescope and you stick light bulbs all around the telescope, right? <laughs> To, to see the telescope. Well, well, yeah, that, that kind of defeats what you want to look at. Um, the same thing, the telescope itself has to be cold. Otherwise, its heat would overwhelm it. It would, it would see its heat and just would see this 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 big fog of 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 uh, glowy spectrum. So so the telescope itself is designed to be to be very cold, operate what we call 50 Kelvin. That's that's mm -hmm. minus 223. Celsius, or for yeah. those metrics, they challenge minus 370 Fahrenheit. It's, it's meant to be very cold. So at those temperatures, it's not glowing very much, and enough that it can see very faint objects, and it's not going to see itself. That's one of the reasons why it's also parked at a place called L2, which is which is very far from, from, from Earth, about one and a half million kilometers, or about, I guess, around 900,000 miles away from Earth at, at this point. So... So that even the Earth and the Moon, even the, the 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 light and heat of the Moon would overwhelm this telescope. So one of the things that 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 it also, of course, the Sun would 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 completely blind it. So so the James Webb Telescope has a has a field of view about um, forty percent of the sky looking away from the Sun. Right. So anything that is that is forty degrees from, you know, if you think about the 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 Sun. Earth, Moon, it's behind the, it's, it's in kind of in sort of in line with the Sun, Earth, Moon behind that. And it sees out there about 40% of the sky. And what it means is if you want to look over there, you have to wait six months or so for you to be on the other side of the sun to look at that. So, so at any one time of the year, it can see 40% of the sky. And so the people plan on saying, if you want to see over there, wait a couple of months until it becomes in prime view and then, then look at it. Again, because, because the sun is, of course, really hot and it would, it would swamp the, the, the very sensitive detectors. This is, this is meant to look at very faint things that are either cool compared to the surface of the star or so far away that the star has redshifted down into those, those wavelengths we, we, we can't see. Um, what kind and, of, uh, and, 
Yes, go ahead. Uh, what kind of detectors are on this satellite? Like, like I know there's several different kinds, like X-ray and gamma ray and all that stuff. Is, what, is there a specific name for the type that they use? Because I saw like the big crazy mirrors and all that stuff. So like, like, like the, the bare Wait. bones of it, like mechanically, like how, does, how is it working? It has it has several detectors, and the detectors fall into two um, two general classes. One is just you know uh, uh, an array of 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 cells that 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 you might have in in, in a camera, basically a, a, a camera grid, um, to just to detect light over over a, over an area. And the other are are um, it's called spectrograph to, to break break light into a prism and see the individual frequency components. Um, this this telescope is an analysis telescope. It's not a survey telescope. Um, by that meaning, um, you wouldn't use this telescope to go and hunt for things. Uh, you would look for known things to get to analyze what it is. And and here's why: um, the the widest field of view of this telescope. This is a very narrow. The widest field of telescope uh, is, is what we call 2.2 arc minutes. Mm. Now, if you think about the full moon, it's around 30 arc minutes. This is this is about one fifteenth the the diameter of a full moon. So it would, if it was looking at the moon, which it can't because the moon's too too hot and glowy, and it's too close towards the sun. But 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 the moon would it would take 15 pictures just to go across. The, the 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 surface of the moon. Um, another another way to, to put it in in terms of of its field of moon view. Imagine you know you see you know headlights of of an automobile. Um, it would be able to if that automobile in its widest field of view. Um, if you had a an auto that was at a distance of of three. Um, Three and, three and an eighth kilometers away from you. So I guess miles around, what about two miles, something other away. It would, it would, the, the two headlights of that car would be on opposite parts of the field of view. Oh, wow. So very, very narrow, right? It's, it's very, very narrow thing. It's not a, it's not a giant wide field um, um, telescope stuff. It's a very narrow thing. So, so when you want to look at something, you need to know where you're looking and pointing at it, and then it'll stare there. So it won't, like the Hubble, give these giant panorama stuff. It can, but it's go go picture, 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 picture. It'll take a while to build up a larger area. And you need that kind of resolution because some of the, some of the targets for this thing will be, hopefully, we'll be able to see some of the first stars after the that formed after the Big Bang. We'll see some of the first galaxies that formed after the Big Bang. There's a big question about a kind of a chicken and egg thing of which came first, the stars or the galaxies, right? Did, did and, and, and probably the answer is a combination of both, but, but you know, did, did, did galaxies form from the first stars switching on, going supernova, compressing gas to form a large lump, or did large lumps come together for which stars started to form? Did, did the galaxy lead the, 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 the star formation or did stars lead the galaxies? And, uh, and what are the nature of those, those first objects look like? So that's that case where those objects are, are, are what we call, um, they're redshifted to a factor of, of 20, meaning 
that they're so far away that light has been stretched. Their light frequency has been stretched out 20 times. So they might have been nice and, and visible um, in, in the uh, you know, optical spectrum, but they've been shifted way down because the universe expanded so much. Um, they're so far away, receding so far away you know, for all to us that, that, that they've been shifted way down to, to, to 20. So we think that um, that the telescope will be able to look at the earliest stars that form somewhere around the 100 to 200 million years after the, 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 the Big Bang. After the Big right. Bang flash, that thing you might have heard of the cosmic back, macro background radiation mm -hmm. stuff there. Well, after that flash, when, when, the, when the universe went from transparent, you know, trans, translucent and transparent, right? And the photons just, just took off, you know, long, longer uh, because all the, you know, the, most of the atoms combined into neutral stuff, that you had what we call the dark age, where there was really nothing um, emitting light. There were no stars, right? You just had a bunch of neutral gas. And it, and it took, we think, somewhere between 100 to 200 million years before lumps came together enough that stars switched on. Um, and, and so one of the things this telescope is hoping to do is to see those first stars um, and to get an idea about what their nature was like, as well as to see galaxies come together. Well, that's the, that's um, the far red stuff. Go ahead. I'm, I'm just um, a bit in awe of your, your description of how <laughs> the um, telescope works. When you, when you mentioned um, octaves and spectrums of light, that I could straight away visualize. I'm, I'm going to nick that and I'm going to use that in my description. <laughs> when talking yeah. about I'm taking it as my own. But like, because you, you think you're you're a musician, or you're you're familiar with music. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm familiar. With, I wouldn't call myself a musician. I'm familiar with music. I can play a guitar. I'm, <laughs> but no one does. To to say that the octave of light that we can see is this, and then you visualize someone down tuning the guitar to a, a point where the vibration is so yeah. low that you can't actually hear it, uh, or so high that you can't actually hear it. That that is a perfect illustration yeah. of of you know our very yeah. limited. Um, feel yeah. of you when it comes to light, and I, I thought that was really, really good. Well, thank you. And and if you think about going, take that that you know, if you're familiar with your uh, a modern eighty-eight note piano, okay. Um, what 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 the telescope is that that the optical part of of the the telescope would be probably the the the, the highest three or four notes on a piano. And it has a full range of another six octaves below what we can see, mm. where the universe portrays this rich um, tapestry of, 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 of frequencies, of sounds. Mm. And, and we come to know that certain chemicals out there, certain objects have glow, have patterns, have, have, have harmonics that, are, that tell you a lot about the nature of what it is. So, so it's not simply just saying, oh, there's a star, but, but what type of star, what's in the star, what's around the star, um, or the galaxy, what type of a galaxy is it? Is it, is it just a bunch of port sources? Is the galaxy all glowing? Um, are there, what is, what's the nature of the material? So if you want to know the chemicals involved or the elements involved, you need to see the spectrum. You need to hear the harmonics of, of, mm. of the sets, which, which are there all the time. It's just that down here on earth, we are surrounded by this cacophony of, of, 
of stuff, even just the glow of the Earth, even going to a place like Antarctica, it still has a temperature which causes the glow completely swamps the the set plus plus the water vapor just 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 saturates. so what you're saying it's been positioned in in a way so it's in uh, an area where it's uh, effectively a blank canvas there's no interference it's yeah. it can look at what it's designed to look at without any of this background stuff coming in and um disrupting the uh, yes. the readings Yes, and so it it has been put into the effect of a of a, of a sound studio yep. without the coughing of the of the audience, without the the noise of the traffic around it, where it can concentrate just on the music of of that. Yeah, it, it's basically it's basically a noise gate apparatus, right? Yes, mm. yes, and in that sense, um, it 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 has a very it had to have a very unique thing. The the. Traditional way we've done telescopes that that because we've 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 observed in the infrared before, um, but with limited telescopes, so things like the the Spitzer telescope, that had a, a vat of liquid helium cooling its cameras, and 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 the way it cools the cameras is you let the helium evaporate, right? When when something evaporates, um, it it takes heat from 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 its surface. And and radiates out in space. So that's how that's how a, 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 a typical dwarf flask system works. And that's fine. The problem is that when you run out of coolant, the thing warms up. Can you talk to us a bit about the the solar sails and the deployment of them and what purpose they yeah, serve? And, because... and so that's that that's actually why I'm I'm talking about about this exactly about this sort of thing. That mm. that that a that. That they could have put a, a giant tank of, of of liquid helium on the telescope, and and let it evaporate slowly. Um, there's a couple of problems with that. One is you get helium gas around the telescope, which right. which has kind of interferes with stuff, you know, with with things. Particularly if you're trying to observe helium, one of the, one of the common elements there, it, it 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 gets involved in it. The other thing is that it limits the lifetime of the telescope. So. That instead of it being actively cooled by a, a cryogenic flask of, of liquid cold stuff, which would also be add the weight and complex things, it passively cools itself. So it has this giant sunshade, even though it's it's be it's kind of behind the 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 the, the sun Earth system. Um, it is it is um, it has this this sort of 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 Sun shielding, um, which has an SPF of around one billion, if you talk about it in terms of, of, of sunscreen mm -hmm. capabilities, right? Um, where where the things about the size that has this basically this giant umbrella shade that's about the size of a tennis court, and you know, wow. uh, 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 and 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 the telescope sits behind that, um, and and that that allows it to cool itself. Uh, Passively, right? So there's no liquid stuff that boils away, and once you're done, you you there. It it actively it, it actually works. So so we look right now, the hot side, the side that's facing the sun, is around uh, 54 Celsius, um, and that I guess in Fahrenheit is around 130 Fahrenheit, right? It's 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 facing the sun, so it it gets a glow from the sun because it's. Even though it's a million kilometer, million of kilometers away from from Earth, it still sees the sun, right? It's pretty much has mm. sun brightness of things. The the, the cold side 
is around 211 Celsius right now, which which in Fahrenheit's around three, you know, three minus 348. So so it goes from 150 Fahrenheit to minus 348 Fahrenheit from the, the, the front side of the shade to the back side of the shade. Um, and and that's really critical. Now you might say, well, well, why don't you just park it straight on line where where the earth shields it? And the answer is it also has has to have solar panels. Right? This thing needs power. Mm-hmm. And so you could put on a giant reactor there, but that's gonna be glowy, warm, and mm-hmm. and messy and so forth. So it needs it needs solar panels to power itself. It takes about two kilowatts. Um, to, to, to run the telescope. So on the on the uh, sun side of the of the shade are solar panels to collect solar power, which is one of the reasons why it has that odd orbit. It, it's orbiting around an, an L2, but it but it's not right in line. It actually has to be a little bit to the side and kind of orbit around it so that it can so that the sun the solar panels can still see the sun, but the telescope points backwards. So that with this giant sunshade, again, because you want the telescope to be cold, you don't want to tel- glow the telescope to, to blind itself. But in um in a again, forgive my ignorance, I, I'm not that well versed in this, but I was under the impression that with um like a solar sail with such as that it has, that the the photonic light from the sun would repel the telescope and give it some form of propulsion. Yeah, I mean, it does, yes, and, and, it, and it does have a good push on that, um, but there, the, the, the one of the things that does have, the telescope does have, are, 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 are little thrusters to okay. keep it within that orbit. And in fact, that's probably the limiting factor on the length of the mission of the telescope. Um, it, it has, the telescope has a, a nominal um, a nominal period where you know it is the, the initial design of the telescope is to operate for uh, five years right that is current is current the current plan phase of it mm-hmm. um, and and they think that that they can operate at least 10 years and and what's the what's wears out well the thruster is necessary to, to keep it in that orbit to keep and 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 to do to do the sort of the the, the orbital orbital uh, motion that to control exactly what you, that's one of the things that can control um and so its limiting factor right now is that propulsion to do that fine adjustment to keep it parked mm. in this in this orbit uh, around something called lagrange point two uh, the the telescope in theory could be serviced um, but it's too far away for people to go. And it's, 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 you know, it's, it's way farther away than even geosynchronous satellites. It's, it's way out there. Um, and so, um, it would be impractical for people to go and service it. Uh, it, it'd be, it'd be much harder than, than let's say going to the moon even. Um, and so instead it's possible that a robot could come to the telescope. It's got markings and a portal there. A robot could come to the telescope and refuel it. That's theoretically possible, but not planned. Um, I have a feeling if, if the telescope is, is doing great things and it's nearing the 
the end of its fuel life, there might be a push to design a robot to go out and, and do so. And the argument would be that um, these kind of refueling missions would be useful for doing, you know, space exploration. This is a good practice and we get a right. lifetime. The, the, the telescope, but the telescope itself is, has an, has, has, you'll, you'll see, has a nominal plan where they say, okay, we're designed to allow this design at least five years. Now, the reason why it was five to 10 was because some of that fuel that it has might have been needed to adjust its orbit, right? Had the launch been, been not as perfect as it was, it was right. really picture-perfect launch and, 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 and launch windows, it would have needed more fuel to correct, to course correct itself. And that fuel it uses to course correct would have been, um, would have been, uh, uh, you know, the stuff you would use to extend this mission. But because they did such a successful launch and getting to where it's needed without, with very, very, very little course correction, um, the, it's, it's got a lot of fuel on board and it basically doubled its lifespan. Well, I mean, no. if somebody needs to go out there with the jerry can and fill it up, <laughs> um, if they need me to take like a weekend off, um, yeah. I don't mind. I can yeah. go up there. Yeah. But it's, it's it's right now, the motion right now, so the, the biggest fuel load it took was to slow down, right? There is this notion of, of, of coasting out there for almost a month, but you needed to put his retroactors on to slow down to, to come into to park it right, and mm. so mm -hmm. entrance into the thing, and now it's it's motion now is are only around um, 200, 200 meters a second. Is, uh, it, is it still within the Earth's orbit and not being interfered with by the Moon? So so yeah, it's it's, it's L to L at at L two, um, and again that's the spot that kind of the the the, the Sun Earth Moon is behind. Out farther away, it's behind. L one is would be on the on the the front side, the sunset. Yeah, this right, is right, the, okay. the ex exterior one there. But it can't be exactly there because the Earth's shadow would yeah. would would cast it and cut off light from its solar cells. So it's solar so it has to orbit around that point, near mm. that point, and 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 spend its time to get stuff. But it has this giant sunshade with an SPF 1 billion to block the light so that you drop the temperature from 54 Celsius down to minus 211. And, and right now, the current mode it's in right now is to do the fine adjustments. First of all, they want to drop the telescope down even, even, even farther, right? The, 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 the current temperature is still gotta, it's still gotta cool down, um, on, you know, another, uh, I think around 12 degrees Celsius. Um, but that's just, just, just from, from the leftover latent temperature from being on earth. Um, so it's got to drop down even, even farther. And, and during this period of time, they're going to be, um, doing fine adjustments on those hexagonal mirrors, uh, have little, little, um, actuators to move it, you know, um, nanometers oh, cool. to get that stuff. So, so they'll getting the focus really, really well. They learn from the Hubble. Don't assume the manufacturer is going to manufacture everything perfectly, <laughs> and mm -hmm. and and so they tested, retested, retested. Plus, they have enough um, adjustments that that to to to, to correct any any um, things that need to be corrected. So during this period of time for the next five months, they're going to be. Ref 
refining the, the, the system, letting it cool down, as well as, as understanding the characteristics of the camera, right? Um, if there's a stock pixel someplace on one of our sensors, they'll be able to note that so that when, when observers come to observe, astronomers come to use the telescope, they know if you see a spot there, that's what that bad pixel, right? We don't know. I don't know if, it's, if the cameras are perfect or not. Most likely they're not. There might be some parts of the camera that are more sensitive than others. So they will take known fields and, and, and kind of get a sense for the color balance and, and the brightness balance to be able to, to, to let a researcher take the, the, the data and understand how well is it actually you know working and if if it's if it's got certain sense oversensitivity of certain frequencies to others they'll be able to calibrate that thing so it's a calibration mode there'll be a couple of of you know pictures that'll come out um uh, with um this is typically what nasa does because senators who funded this thing <laughs> want to see something right they want to see so, so they'll, they'll 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 put out some 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 publicity photos for that purpose. What uh, if they turn it around and point it at the Earth and we actually see that it's flat? Well, <laughs> that, that would, of course, would, would do a couple of bad things. It would, it would start to heat up the telescope. It would also blind the telescope, the, the, the sun's blindness, the, even the Earth, right? The Earth. We'll never know. We'll never know. Yeah. So, That's so, the whole point. So, it's a conspiracy. So you can't, you can't look anywhere near, and the moon even, the moon is, is too bright and too hot to even see the see the moon. So so when you talk about that line of sun earth, it's the 40 degrees, it's a 40 40% of the of the back facing motion. Anything mm -hmm. to the side, um uh you know, so with, that's, that's that's its field of vision. It's 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 for it's basically think about if you've got if if you have you know um um if you talk about it it has a it, it it's not its field of vision it's its ability to point right it has oh, okay. it it has um it has you know of of, of the 100 degrees um that it can look at it can look at a, that at, at 100 it can point anywhere within 144 degrees back from the earth sun sign so you think about again if if the sun's behind you on the earth the telescope can look essentially at at four degrees of the forty percent of the sky, okay. um, if 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 it were if it was fifty percent, it would be able to see side to side. Mm, but it's yeah. but it's forty percent. But problem is when you start to see side, now the glowy sun back there starts to to come into the telescope. Mm -hmm. So right? it's kind of like, it's kind of like got blinkers on, and and so all that light goes that way, and you can just see yeah. in that yeah. vision. But, but remember, we're, we're talking about where it can point. Mm. It's its actual field of view in its widest camera is only 2.2 arc minutes. That's a that's that's seeing the headlights of a car at three kilometers would be that thing. It's, it's one fifteenth the diameter of a full moon. So it's a very very narrow telescope. Um, so so its field of view is actually quite extremely small. That's because it's designed to study something that we know is there, as opposed to get a big get get the big picture. This is an analysis telescope. Now, I mentioned I should mention, by the way, because uh, I'm a planetary astronomer, and my planetary astronomer friends are screen saying, but tell us about the other part of the mission, right? I've talked about observing the first stars and the star formations of the first stars after the Big Bang and the first galaxies after the Big Bang. Another very important constituent are planets. There are things that are much colder than stars, 
Mm-hmm. And, and so it's designed to look at planets, atmospheres of planets, and, um, and, and, stuff. And, 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 and for example, this telescope will be capable of, of trying to study the gases of a planet around a nearby star. Not just the planets in our solar system, the planets out there that have, um, where you, know, you, you hear about saying, well, they think they discovered some uh, rocky planet that's in the Goldilocks zone where it's not frozen, it's not boiling, it's somewhere in the middle. Um, uh, that's nice, but, but, but given our current telescopes, we don't have the ability to analyze what's in its atmosphere. Um, because the next thing you want to see, if you're looking for possibility of life, is you want to see, does the atmosphere have complex chem, you know, uh, uh, molecules, whatever they may be, be it traditional Earth organic or some other crazy chemistry, right? Um, presumption is if you're seeing life, you will see complex chemistry going on. Those, those chemical things have their resonance. They have their little tone that they resonate in. And, and those frequencies are on the cold stuff. It's not surface of a star temperature. It's, it's much colder. So again, you need that infrared. You need to see the, 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 the resonance modes of the things. Again, if you use the musical analogy, um, it's, it's, you want to know what is the blend of frequencies. So a violin sounds different than an oboe because the overtones, the harmonics of a violin are different than an oboe because it has a different mechanical structure. The same thing, different chemicals with, with their appendages and, and long chain stuff have different resonance modes. So when, um, when you, you, if, you, if you know about a, a, a star having a planet orbiting it, when, that's, when that planet is to the side, the telescope will be able to look at that planet and begin to uh, analyze the gases that are in that planet. Um, there's also a thing called a star chase system where, where the really extreme cases, we find a, a planet that seems to have rich in stuff, is they'll have these little star shade, shade missions. It'll be this, this umbrella, you know, that, that has a you know, big giant shade, think like a giant umbrella that, that will be, you know, um, you know, it may be as, as, you know, a couple meters wide, a couple yards wide. And that umbrella will, will, will fly in an orbit, um, uh, maybe a couple, couple million kilometers away from the telescope and just come right in front of the star. So they'll time it so that they know the orbit of the, of the planet, and when the planet's to the side, this the shade will come in front of the star, block the light of the star, and the very sensitive telescopes of the of the camera will go out full out, you know, full wide stuff and stare at the planet to not only image the planet but be able to do a chemical analysis of what's in the atmosphere of a planet around another star. That's how sensitive this thing is, and wow. that's where you're going to go from a Here's a planet that's rocky, that's got an atmosphere and is not too hot, not too cold, too. Here's a planet, it has some oxygen, it has some carbon, it's got some nitrogen, it's got some rich chemical blah, 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 things in it. That's where we're going to start to see um, um, foreign planets with, with a rich environment or solar systems that are in the process of forming, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and, and stuff where it's, 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 a, it's a cloud disk around an early star um, that's beginning to lump into planets and see the process of, of planet formation. 
all that stuff happens at lower temperatures than stars. So it's so its frequencies are much lower than stars. So again, the three principal things are analyzing the first stars and the first galaxies redshifted way out to like three times their length, or things that are not glowing star surface, which are planets, asteroids, things in the process of forming, um, and things that are formed to do really analysis. And that's why it's very, very narrow, right? You don't want to have a wide field where you're getting all kinds of star glow. You can zoom in on a planet next to a nearby star that's glowing only at a couple hundred degrees or less and 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 not be blinded by the glow of the earth not even blown blinded by the glow of the telescope itself because it's cold it's behind that sunshade and and be able to analyze the light so it's an analysis of that thing and we're going to learn some really i think some really surprising things about about which came first, the chicken or the egg, the, the galaxy or the uh, or the cat? Um, so, so is there is there any schedule right now? Because I know you were saying that they have to drop the temperature of the telescope more uh, to get um, the best uh, imaging possible. But how long do we have to wait? Is it going to take a month for them to cool this thing off? I don't want to. Because Landon, let me tell you something. I don't want to wait a month. He's been waiting. I've been I'm, waiting. I'm... For years for them to launch this thing. They launched it on Christmas. It was a great launch. Cool. Now you're going to make me wait even longer after you done parked the car. It's like when you get to the, this, you, you're stuck in traffic. You get to the mall. You finally find a parking spot. And now you can't get out of the car because mom has to finish listening to We Wish You a Merry Christmas for the last time. So you're stuck in there for another four minutes. And, and it's, like it's worse than that. You just got off the airplane and you're waiting for your luggage. Oh, I just so Landon. Before before you long? answer before you answer that, I just want to circle back to the musical analogy. So what you're saying is this this sense this um telescope is that sensitive that it can look at planets all playing the same chord, but when it looks um and analyzes them properly, it can see the tone, so you can differentiate between the different instruments, i.e. being yes. the different gases that it's formed. Exactly. And and, and the resonance, the, the, the resonance, you'll, you'll see a bunch of spectral. That's why it's called a spectrum, right? It's yeah. going to break it up into its musical notes um, of, of almost almost seven octaves, but but much finer than a note. I mean, it's not just half steps. I mean, it's really fine yeah. um, microtones. Uh, microtones. And, and the harmonics of a gas doing some chemical dance thing are going to show up, even though you might have the same temperatures, the same principal peak. It's the, yeah, that's what it's I mean. the yeah. overtones that are going to tell you that's an oboe, not a violin. Yes. Right. Yeah, that's that tell you the structure they're, they're, of the thing. Dare I intrude, but when, according to your analogy, they'd be able to tell you what kind of strings are on the guitar. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and, 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 and how well the guitar, guitar was tuned, whether the tech. Right. Mm knew their their thing or 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 it's a or it's a it's like a harpsichord which is a wooden structure which goes out of tune rapidly so so um so back to my your your question um it's expected to spend about three to five months um calibrating mikey when's your birthday Oh, Sorry. So so you got you got you you're, you're, I, I know today's first rage quit I, I know you're the passenger. Hang on, hang on, hang on. There's a rage quit. It wasn't your turn. What's going on? 
As, as soon as they opened the cabin door, Mikey was out that door even before they say, please, blah, blah, blah. You know, you're, you're out there. But, but guess what, Mikey? It's going to be three to five months before your luggage shows up down there. So so chill. <laughs> cool down. Now, now I have to say, you know, the, 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 the bullshit. We won't talk about too much of the history of the building, but I'll tell you that, that the folks I've I've talked to with the you know guards of the construction were saying all these years of delay was fortunate because had they launched the thing when it was first built, it wouldn't have worked. Right? They they discovered a number of things. And so part of it was learning from them from the, the mistakes of the Hubble and saying, we only got one chance, right? This was not something that that another shuttle launch could go in and, and fix things. Um, this is a, it had to work or it it doesn't, right? And and it's ex extraordinary skill as well as, as care went in to get to the point where it were many, many spots, hundreds of spots where had something gone wrong, end of, of telescope, telescope being useless, right? And so it it managed to to survive because they did a testing, testing, and really put on, they discovered a number of things had they launched that way, the telescope would have been uh, a total waste. So uh -huh. so the, the delay that it took is, is it was uncomfortable, um, in part because, you know, we would have liked, we want to have this window of time where the Hubble is still working and the James Webb is working because um, there's some object where you want to, see, you, you want to get both, both right. perspectives. So, so when you're talking about, so the three to five months is where they're going to be testing, calibrating, as well as cooling the, the telescope even more. And, and then they, they've allocated time. So right now, um, you just broke my heart. You literally just broke my heart. I was thinking like in the next week or so, I am yeah. so sad so, now. So, so, so understand that there are. There are um, there will be a couple of images showing up because as they begin to do these testing stuff, there's a couple of targets and they'll basically show what the telescope is doing, right? And and but but also they have to characterize thing. But but you know when you set up a sound system, how many times have you set up this perfect sound system for your podcast and someone's muted? Um, I can think of one time today. <laughs> so so. Part of the thing is to get the software, you know, get the calibration, um, characterize how sensitive Mike is over those frequencies. I'm the, the, very sensitive. Yeah, yeah. He's I very feel sensitive, attacked. Obviously. Obviously. I, so, I feel so attacked. Why, why, do you, why do you feel attacked, Jarsan? Explain. <laughs> We're using a new system, and, and I did it wrong. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't. And I'm the most technologically inept person here. You know, yes. you know, Landon, I don't know that I can have you on the show anymore because you have literally, I was so excited to have you on. I was so excited. I was thinking, oh, maybe they'll have images up today. Maybe Landon's got some like secret, secret pictures from his like space friends that he's going to show me. And you're telling me it'll be summer. Yes. So for, for now, understand that three to five months is for when it becomes full science, right? It's going to go from calibration and, and testing, fine focus, cooling to full science in somewhere between three to five months was the plan. Um, Can I pay now, some extra money for them to do it faster? And, and so there'll be some images produced. There'll be some that when you get to the point of they've done the focusing and some test images, 
right? There'll be some, so during that time, you'll get some, some sort of, you know, images showing again. Um, yeah. yeah, but understand it, it, we won't be able to show you what the telescope sees. It'd be because you can't see it. You can't see it. You can't see those neighborhood. So, so there'll right. be these false color images that have got it, okay. that, that your monitor only gives you one octave of frequencies. And this has got almost seven octaves of frequency. So you're going to have to compress it in order to see it visually. Um, now, for a spec, you know, a, a, someone is doing a, a spectrometry where you see the 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 the, the rainbow, the patterns, lights. Though that'll be that's that's the music of their ears for for understanding analysis of. But for the for the pictures, you've got to take that almost seven octaves, compress it into one, and 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 you've got to basically um, you know uh, scale it up to visible to, to see. So, so those images will be false color images. And, uh, but, but I, know this, I think they'll, they'll be impressive and you'll see some of those come out as they're doing these, these assessing. So, so you, you won't have to wait that long to see an image from, from the telescope. But if you were, an, if you're an astronomer waiting to do a research program, um, you're knocking, you want the telescope to be working. And you want to understand the sensitivity and how well if there's stuck pixels or or there's pixels that are slightly sensitive because of something happening. You want to know that so that when you get data, you understand what it was what it was telling you. So um, right now, um, they they took they, they, this is but this happened a couple of years ago where they took proposals saying for the first year, what do you want to do? And um, and so they awarded 460 hours of observing time to 13 programs to look at our solar system. So places, things like Neptune and Pluto and, and things like that. Exoplanets, planets around other nearby stars. Stars and star formation, putting the ones way far away, some of the first stars. Galaxies, gravitational lensing of stuff where, where, where the mm -hmm. space is warped around a heavy object and you can see some gravitational lensing of things. And That's quasars, you know, um, uh, from the, the, the surrounding of, of a black hole that's that the surrounding gas is radiating stuff. So they'll be able to see again, narrow field of view, very high magnification, very sensitive. So known objects. And so they have a bunch of proposals there. They, they, they put out a general proposal and, and uh, where they had 1,173 programs of people submitted saying, here's what I want to do with a telescope. That would have, that would have, made um, 24,500 hours, but there's not enough time in that this, this, that first window. Um, uh, they only have 6,000 hours. They only have 6,000 hours in that, in that first, uh, you know, up to the first year, excluding the, the, the calibration stuff. Um, so, so they had to pick of the, of the 1,173 proposals, they picked um, 226. Um, of which 13 are these large scale proposals that do, do a, a whole bunch of stuff, right? Someone, you know, looking at, uh, um, asteroids, uh, near Neptune or comets or things like that. But, but they also, they also are reserving time for something comes up, right? A star explodes, um, a, 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 a new interesting exoplanet is discovered, right? Um, a comet is, is, is discovered. That's going to be an exciting thing to, to get, to have this telescope look at comets, look at the tail of a comet, look oh. at the comet, understand the chemistries involving on the surface of a comet, right? And so 
So they have not allocated the full 7,600 hours. They've, they've had programs for 6,000 hours with the notion if something major comes up, um, someone's schedule has to be bumped uh, there. But, but they have enough. They, have, they also have to have time for doing you know, um, calibration of stuff, like when they reposition the telescope. Um, mm. because the sunlight has pushed it away or something like that, um, they'll have the settling down time. So there'll be maintenance time. There has been this allocated time. There's some time reserved for if something comes up and, you know, exceptional things happening. Um, so, so we have another astronomer on the streamline, and I, we didn't tell you this. She's being oh. very polite and very shy. But didn't you do a little uh, spaceography in college there? <laughs> I did. I studied astrophysics at, at Santa oh, Cruz. Oh, uh, excellent. Um, so excellent. actually, like, I have um, a lot of friends who, like, are still studying. Um, mm. Someone to, uh, like, Caltech and, and places like that. Yeah. But I want to know, well, I mean, I know, but um, the uh, world will probably want to know. Calm down, Benedict Tyson. Why... We 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 name things very specifically when it comes to space. Mm. Why was this particular uh, infrared uh, telescope named after James Webb? James Webb Why? was an administrator of NASA between I believe sixty one and sixty eight, and he was the one who basically oversaw the Apollo program. So between between Kennedy's push to we're going to go to the moon to to the you know the Apollo 11 launch and so forth and and so forth he was the prime administrator for for getting NASA ready to go to the moon um and so that's where his his it is honored for for his his leadership in there and and that was really the, the kind of the the really the formative stages of NASA, um, he played a, 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 a role, and that's why it's, 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 it, is, it is so honored. This telescope is that major that someone that significant in NASA was, was, was honored in that, in that respect. So, so what we're saying is James Webb is the reason why we continue to have space programs, um, studying it, launch, you know, putting people into space, yeah. creating better technologies, because James Webb was the one that said, like we have to, we have to go to the moon. We have to we have to do this. Well, you might say that John F. Printed John F. Kennedy said we're going to go to the moon, but the question became how, how? right? <laughs> and and so the head of NASA was the one who got the order from the president to then come back and say, here's some of the costs, here's how many people, um, and and particularly in 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 there was a lot of early disagreements on how to go to the moon and technology is necessary, right? And so the development of computers, the development of ceramics, the development of guidance systems, um, the notion of would the would the telescope would the, would the Apollo program be purely robotic with people involved or mechanical or purely mechanical? A lot of those mm -hmm. critical decisions, as well as like when he had the Apollo one fire, how to bounce back from those things. So, so he played an important role. In, in the leadership there. I should also, by the way, mention, you, you, you just casually dropped um, UC Santa Cruz. Uh, folks, UC Santa mm -hmm. Cruz is, is a very important part, uh, plays a very important part in, in astronomy, right? It is, it is one of the few universities that has a, has a separate astronomy program 
it's not just a sub-department oh, of yeah. physics. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, also, <laughs> it, it has I a know. research astronomy <laughs> program. And, and even... Stories is even, very, very influential in, in observing. Yeah, and, and so one of the things as well is, is for example, was, the, the, the Lick Observatory um, that was funded by James Lick and did you know, a lot of foundational work in astronomy is actually managed and administered by um, Santa, you see Santa Cruz as part of the uh, program set up by J James Lick. Uh, James Lick wanted to build a scale replica of the Pyramid of Cheops in San Francisco, where to be in the financial district. He wanted to build for himself a scale replica so that that would be his tomb, right? And and we would have had this giant pyramid. Oh, yeah. there. But a couple <laughs> of administrators of the early University of California came to Lick and said, Pyramids are, are that that's been done. You want to do something better. You want to be you want to be known for the greatest telescope. And in fact, you want to be buried in the pier of the greatest telescope. And in fact, today, if you go up to the lick and you see the great 36-inch refractor, the largest refracting operating telescope in the world, um, you'll go you go down there, you'll see the thing. Here lies by the body of James Lick looking up in in, in the pier, obviously. And tomb, um, and so that's all administered by you see Santa Cruz, right now, and, and even much to my 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 good colleagues at Cal, they they kind of <laughs> Berkeley sort of says Cal, we we, we get all of Cal, right? Um, but they call themselves Cal or UC Berkeley. Um, do you do heavy use of 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 the of the uh, Lick Observatory administered by you see Santa Cruz? And one of the things that's key about Lick is that it's it's a it's a it's a world class observatory for which undergraduate can actually get time. So if you, for example, are a, a student um, working under the tutelage of like great astronomers like Alex Filipinko, um, you can actually use telescopes up at Lick to do things. And in fact, stuff like, for example, learning the universe was accelerating. Um, the, the ability to 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 to, to, to um, detect what we now call dark energy came from the caliber key calibration came from a telescope on, on Lick, uh, administered by UC Santa Cruz and run by you know, astronomers at, at both um, Berkeley and, and, and UC Santa Cruz. So I, I know you don't want to push your alma mater there, but I wanted to recognize <laughs> the importance of the world of astronomy um, and and the many telescopes that Santa Cruz is involved with. Um, in their uh not just at, at lick they, they've got stuff in monacaea stuff in the Cary islands and so forth so it's a great yeah. astronomy program so i i wanted to to, to honor it uh, <laughs> landon as, as we as we have you here and you're a, a great uh orator on the, all these subjects um just to have a, a little bit of fun just to <laughs> shift gears uh -oh. um, I would like you to dispel all of the conspiracy theories about the moon landings because there's there's too many out there. We have you here I... right now, and uh -oh. we we at the BIM podcast can shut them all down right now. Okay, so 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 a couple of things, <laughs> right? Like... Let's 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 try, let's keep on, let's on the Lick Observatory thing. <laughs> the observatory administered by Berkeley and often run under under a program from from Cal Berkeley. Um, I use the three meter Shane telescope and a sixty. Kilowatt laser yep. pointed at the moon and bounced off of the mirrors from Apollo 11 and Apollo 14 
and tying the set. So it took about one and one and a quarter seconds for the light pulse to go up to the moon and one and a quarter seconds come back. And and I helped do the refinement of the distance between the mirror of of Lick and the uh, and the mirror on the moon left by the Apollo astronauts to a distance of about a millimeter. We were able to measure that, and and that was necessary because because there was kind of slop involved in in a couple centimeters for things to refine that set, and that was good enough that over several separate uh, pulses we were able to to prove continental drift. We were able mm -hmm. to see the motion stuff. Now it turned out the big error was that the Earth is a wobbly, wobbly wiggly thing. Um, so the Shakes. moon has tides on it that stretches the rock, not yep. just the ocean, but the rock. Um, and there's earthquakes and so forth. So I had part of a, of, of a precision clock, one of the precision clocks, to try to figure out where, where Lick was and all those things. But all that stuff is a program to do that. And that would not have been possible if it were not the fact that the Apollo astronauts left mirrors on the moon. Ah, and, but what and, about the Van Allen belt? Ah, we got you there. <laughs> and 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 that 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 radiation is opaque to the green laser uh, thing that the, that the pulse went through up up and back. Mm -hmm. um, and so you need to think where, where, the, way the, the way that uh, thing worked was, you know, you turned off the camera and you flash through the optical system, the 60 kilowatt pulse, right? And it was, it was, it was typically around uh, 20th of a second, a very fast pulse. And once the, the laser was off and on glowing, then you turned on the, the camera and you waited the, the roughly two and a half seconds of the round trip and then, and then, and you saw the, the blink because mm -hmm. lasers do diverge, and by the time it hit the moon, it was several kilometers wide. Where you have this, 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 you know, object is more like a, a, the size of a, of a, of a, of a, a large TV monitor that retroreflected the, 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 the thing back with corner reflectors, and you needed three meters in order to get the, the blip there to see the blip come back from the moon and the timing of it. Um, and so, uh, so that was one of the things for, for their um, uh, stuff. Um, second item would be that I am a frequent visitor to the South Pole. Um, and in fact, I had a nice conversation with Steve McRae, where I was you're, standing you're, you're on the South Pole. Pole right? um, and, <laughs> and, and, and when I go there, we, we, we're, we're looking for, again, I'm a planetary scientist, and we were looking for, um, basically, we're, we're, we're scanning for meteorites, rock from outer space that are embedded in the ice. Mm -hmm. And around, you know, south of 80 degrees south. And, and, and since we're in the area, I, I, I take people to the actual South Pole and then go through the process of locating to the point where it's about the size. I, we know the error with the size of like a sugar cube or your, your, your thumbs. You can put your thumb saying the South Pole is right here, right? It's, it's, it's not like the North Pole where on the North Pole, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're on a, um, an ice pack on, a, on an, mm. on an, an ocean, ocean as aren't there. Yeah. You can never say, you know, well, we went through the South Pole there. With with the South Pole, because it's 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 frozen, um, you can you can say it's right here, right? And can, and can I ask what why why would you go to the South Pole for more frequency of that? Is there more for want of a layman's term, is there more gravity there or I think it's actually less. It's actually the the the, the thing that, that is 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 there is that that there's there's um well, first of all, it's it's a it's a high altitude. Mm -hmm. uh, the air is very dry there. So if you're if you can't be a James Webb telescope, 
um, the next best thing is to go to a desert, and, and Antarctica is a desert. The, the snowfall is measured, annual snowfall is measured in millimeters a year, right? It's, it's, a, it's like a couple of dimes, stack of dimes uh, worth of snow in, in a year. So it's very, very dry there, high altitude. Um, you're under the ozone hole, so you got to also have lots of ultraviolet stuff as, as well as it, there's not many radio transmitters. It's very, very quiet um, optically there. And um, and it, it also has there's a there's a South Pole telescope and and group there of instruments at the at the South Pole facility is doing some some amazing work. Um, hopefully there's something called BICEP three, which is gathering data regarding oh. the last time that photons before the Big Bang flash that the, their last reflection off of the plasma before the plasma went transparent. Um, the polarization is going to hopefully allow us to, to have a really definitive check, maybe, assuming the data shows up, on the gravitational waves that occurred, the sonic waves. Remember the, again the sound, right? Mm. The early universe had had these 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 literally sound, these sound waves of of of, of pulses going through the universe um, that have been stretched. Um, uh, way far now. Now that you know, in, in our, our today's thing. So, so the the at the time of the Big Bang flash, three hundred seventy thousand years after the Big Bang, those pulses, those sound waves, were around five hundred thousand, five hundred fifty thousand um, um, kilometer. You know, excuse me, sorry, five hundred fifty thousand light years across. They've been shifted now to around 500 million kilometers, uh, excuse me, 500 million light years. So they've gone from around a half, um, half a million light years to um, half a billion light years. So they've stretched over a thousand um, since that, that, that time. And, and um, one of the things you, you want to look at, again, is, is the harmonics. Now, the first, the, the resonant frequency of the universe right now has been redshifted all at front time almost 1,100 times more. So if back to musical note analogy, mm -hmm. um, the fundamental tone of the universe right now, the ohm, you will of, of the universe, mm -hmm. is 71 octaves below B flat. I can sing that. <laughs> so, go on, so, go on in. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 a way way down there but you're not only interested in the fundamental tones but all the overtones because the overtones give you a notion of what kind of musical instrument you're talking about mm -hmm. and again the sound waves of the early universe is something that there's a telescope called bicep three are studying um because fortunately it's looking at object it's looking at wavelengths much longer than what the james webb can see that at least you can see at the South Pole. So those are other things there. And I guess the final thing um, I should mention, um, so, so if going to the South Pole isn't, is bad enough, or the North, North and South Pole both, um, was the uh, recent uh, eruption in Tonga, where yeah. um, we have an mm. Earth's observation section. I, I'm now up in the very um, far Pacific Northwest corner, right up next to, to, to Canada. And we have a sensitive weather instrument that detected the the, the, the atmospheric pulse from the from the blast that occurred at, at Hunga Tonga, and and it and it traveled 
So we saw the pulse traveling directly from Tonga. We also saw the pulse that goes around the world. The other side, and we saw the pulse, the second pulse come back through. So, so it was a blast so powerful that it went around the world, shockwave heard around the world, and we saw the forward motion and then later on the backward motion. And we can, you can calculate the average temperature um, and, the, and the mean path and so forth. It was a really beautiful uh, uh, set of, of, of stuff to, 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 to which is a possible on, on the spherical, um, on a spherical earth or spheroid earth, I should say. So but, can we use the James oh, Webb? Uh, okay. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no, 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 go for it. Uh, I have, a, I thought we were done with the James Webb. We oh. started talking about conspiracy theories and now I had a third question because we had a very interesting weather phenomenon in, in uh, Norway and Sweden. Um, Sunshine uh, phenomenon. Sunlight. No. So during, but if you want to go back to James Webb, and then I'll ask my question. So we're going back. I say that the summary of the thing is James Webb scope. It's impressed that it worked. Right. It had many points of failure. It was delayed, but we were fortunate that the delays basically caught issues so that it was able to work. Um, it's now in its parked orbit where the solar, solar panels can see the sun, but it's got this giant light shade so that it can cool down several hundred degrees from, from the hot side to the cold side so the telescope doesn't glow blind itself. It has got a, 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 a ability to see 40% uh, of the sky facing back from the sun. And if you want to see the other side, you just wait until the orbit of the Earth goes around the other part of the of other direction. Um, it is designed to look at things almost seven octaves in, in wavelength where, where the only the upper notes are the are the the, the red orange. In looking at things at colder temperatures or things that have been stretched. So the first stars form first galaxies form, but more importantly to me as an planetary astronomer is to see things that are not glowing at star length wavelengths, but are much colder. Um, uh, planets, asteroids, comets, um, be able to detect comes around nearby stars, to be able to, to analyze atmospheres of planets. So it's an analysis telescope, not a wide survey telescope. Um, first couple yeah. of images will be coming out as, as, as they do calibration. Um, once the three to five month um, testing cooldown uh, finishes, we have a whole bunch of programs that have that have allocated about 70, 80 percent of, of the time. Um, and the the for the first year uh, with some percentage left over for uh, fine adjustments. Um, as well as as events, if they see a comet coming in or something's going to crash in to to Neptune or something, watch this sort of thing. As well as as you know, if they discover other Kuiper Belt objects to other planets around the sky, so there'll be a bunch of, of emerging stuff that they'll be there as can, a typical. So. Can we can we use the James Webb? This was my last question on it. Can we use that to find somewhere new to live? Because Tonga lets me know that Earth is not the Earth is not like us. It does well, not want us here, and we should go. It's time Certain, to pack it all up. <laughs> time to move. Yeah, I mean, and and that sort of thing is, is that that would this is going to give us an ability to really try to hone in on planets that might be habitable, as opposed to right now. You know, first of all, with things like Lick Observatory, one of the first to detect a planet on another another star, right? To detecting planets, we now have around 
Um, uh, we, we have a number of, of, of planets that we've, we've detected, but we don't know much. We don't know about much about those, those, those actual. Okay, Landon, how do we get there? Hyperdrive, warp drive, or Stargate? Uh, we don't know quite yet. Um, Hyperstar. Uh, but, but, but I mean, right now, right now we have, we have double confirmation of 4,949 planets. Oof. Really? Um, 4,949, and we're using the geophysical uh, definition of planet. That is, defining a planet for what it is rather than where it is. Um, what, what, because, what, is what is Pluto? Because the, 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 the silly um, International Astronomical Union, a, a ridiculous organization that does lots of embarrassing things, um, was, was dumb enough to have uh, only about 300 people out of the out of the several thousand attendees vote to say that a planet had to orbit our star. So their definition of planet, that their definition of planet back in 2006 oh. was so parochial. That's democracy. You know, because you had a you had a couple of people who were loudmouth people who are 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 orbit mechanics people, and they're only interested in orbits around our star. And so to be a planet had to orbit our sun. So those things out there. We're not are not planets according what, to you. What, what do they call them? Pluto, yeah. um, not orbit our sun. As extrasolar round things. Oh, um, stop it! Stop it right yeah. now. That's you surely Pluto orbits our sun. Yeah. So, well, so Pluto I should mention, by planet. the way, since I'm wearing the planet T-shirt, it says, you know, first war planet. Um, yeah. There, <laughs> um, courtesy of Dr. Filipinko and his wife. Um, no, that's the, not the the the. Um, the current designation is Pluto is a dwarf planet, okay? and and just like dwarf it's, stars are stars. It's the Peter Dinklage of planets. No, no, don't come here. So, so dwarf dwarf stars are stars, dwarf galaxies are galaxies, dwarf planets are planets, and and Pluto has a designation a dwarf planet. Now it turns out we from from our surveys that we think the majority of rocky planets are actually dwarf planets, and that. Earth is one of the biggie, you know, bigger sized uh, right. rocky planets, and that most of them are 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 plutoid, plutoids, or that is that is um, dwarf planets. So um, one of the things that 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 the James Webb is going to give us the ability to do is to to do some analysis of some of these um, fainter, smaller planets that seem to be more more common. So when someone asks you, is 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 Pluto a planet? Um, answer right now is yes, it's a dwarf planet, right? Um, it's not a gas giant planet. It's not a protoplanet that's in the process of forming. It's it's a it's not a, a, a Earth scale you know rock, large rocky planet. It's a dwarf planet, and and so studying of dwarf planets around our star around nearby stars is going to be one of the principal things that that the um, planetary sciences part of James Webb is going to give us the ability to see, as well as we're going to be able to look at Pluto. And, it, and its other its other companion Charon, which is also a, a, a dwarf planet, and 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 um, Pluto has a weird thing that that its its elliptic orbit means that that when it's close to the sun, it's got a very thin atmosphere, and as it moves away from the sun, that atmosphere um, snows, freezes out, and so we're going to be able to watch Pluto's atmosphere freeze and turn into a, a frost on on its surface. Um, and understand some rich chemistry that, that's going on there. By, by your definition, then, if, if it's orbiting the 
sun or the star independently it's uh, a planet but if it's orbiting a planet that's orbiting a star it's a satellite i.e. Well, moon well i'm gonna i'm gonna want to say that that it's not simply um you know my uh my planet it's you know, my definition right there is there is a a a, a a thing's called a geophysical planet definition. I can give you a link on this thing mm -hmm. um, where it, it, it defines a planet based upon um, um, where it is. A, a, a planet is a substellar mass body that has never undergone nuclear fusion. So it's not big enough to start fusion in a core, right? Um, and has sufficient mass that its self-gravitation basically pulls it into a spherical shape mm -hmm. um, defined by an ellipsoid, regardless of, its, regardless of where it is. So, so a geophysical planet is, is, defines it based on what it is, not where it is. So, for example... Could, it, could a comet if, be a planet? Um, they typically don't have the mass necessary to squish okay. themselves in roughly a spherical shape. So, and that answer would be, would, would be no. But if you have, in a, in a, in a, in a planetary system, you know, a, a close encounter of, of two planetoids and, and one gets, one gets thrown into the star, the other gets ejected, right? Um, you have what we call a rogue planet where the planet is no longer orbiting a star. It's been ejected from the solar system. It's traveling out in free space. Um, the old I, silly IAU definition, um, it would have said it ceases to become a planet just because it's not orbiting our sun or any star, right? Um, we, we're, as a planetary scientist, we're interested in what is a planet, its characteristics. So the geophysical, based on what it is, 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 is it, is it, has it ever gone, undergone infusion? Um, you know, it doesn't does it have a stellar core. No. Does it have enough gravity that it, that it basically has oh, deformed round. into a round spherical spheroid shape, right? Um, um, regardless of its orbital parameters. And so in our, um, in our solar system, we have 110 objects that are, that are planets right now. Um, and, um, and, and that's, and we're hoping to find lots of those smaller objects around other nearby stars as well. So it's <coughs> nice to get uh, audio stuff, but it, it is, it is, you know, there are, there are terrestrial planets and giant planets and ice planets and gas planets, and, and on a smaller scale are our dwarf planets. So Ceres is a dwarf planet. Our moon is a dwarf planet. Um, um, Pluto, Charon are dwarf planets. Um, but, you know, Io, uh, you know, the moon around uh, Jupiter or Europa or, or, or Titan, so forth, those mm -hmm. are, are dwarf planets because, again, they're not undergone fusion. They have enough mass to, to, to warp themselves in a roughly round shape. Um, mm -hmm. And regardless of what they orbit, um, or these vague things about clearing and stuff, so um, so so the silly IU can just go pound sand because because yeah. and again this is this is this is a definition. I'm not I'm not trying to say it's right because it it has a majority, but but many planetary scientists that are saying so. What are you studying if you're a planetary scientist? What is a planet? Yeah. Use what a planet is. Many people that study orbits talk about where is where is it, right? So the orbital people, which is a valid part of astronomy, will be more interested is the object has some orbit where it's dominated and cleared, whatever that vague thing means. P 
people who study what a planet is don't mm. care as much where it is as to what it is. So, right. again, Pluto is a dwarf planet. Dwarf planets are planets. It's a type of planet. So, so the moon Pluto is... is a, but, but, but here, but give me a second. Just give me a second. So, basically what you're saying is for us to have a discussion about what something is, we need to set the parameters for what something is before we can have that discussion. We have to yes. agree on the basic parameters to even have... Yeah a discussion about it uh, yeah and like and that goes for everything even within whatever community you're in uh if you're discussing anything you have to agree on a certain uh some certain basic parameters on mm -hmm. all right so what are we discussing what is a planet all right we define a planet as a all right so what is a dwarf planet it's defined as b and then yeah. we can have a discussion uh, and, on those parameters, but but, but yeah, that, that, that's uh, a very good clarifying. And we we, we, we also have question. a we also sure we also have I say we also have this this notion of probable planet, right? Because you might have you had you might have an object detected, but you don't have enough information. But it might be a planet, but you don't have definitive stuff. So we have mm. you know probable planets as well for for those things that are that are that are too um too big. So I have put into the chat our our Skype chat two links to geophysical edition of the planet if you can put those yeah, into probably. the chat um but back to back to your question i just wanted to um but didn't didn't they have to like change the definition because somebody Twice. came up was like well the, some dude came up he's like cool i'm naming these 40 planets i just discovered and they're like all right now hold on a second my very excellent mother and we can't have an additional 110 letters after that the poor school children will someone think of the children for once so 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 let me give you an analogy you have the periodic table right um and and we now have 118 elements so do we sort of decertify everything above carbon because it's too many things for a child to to memorize yes um do we do we do we do we do, do we decertify hydrogen in an element because it's too light? Um, it's do too we, light. We got to get rid of it. It's do we decertify go. helium because, uh, as because as a chemist, it it is very difficult to have helium compounds. So you you chuck that out as as a chemical I had, element. I had helium in this cup earlier. It all mm -hmm. left. It doesn't deserve yeah. to be on the periodic table. It's, it's unreliable. <laughs> Landon, as you. Are. As you were of a scientific mind, um, a friend of mine asked me to ask a question on this show that I normally go on Mystery Hour. Is yeah. there is there any logic to the layout of the periodic table? Because it seems to be balance electrons. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's what Mikey said. Balance electrons. Now also, 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 you know, so so so, so orbital uh, orbital characteristics, and then. With the notion that those orbitals and orbital classes dominate chemical properties, then vertical strips have have similar but not identical um, uh, properties uh, in, chem in chemical and as well as 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 is also talking about, about about shapes and sizes of the outer outer shells mm. and, and and reactive stuff. So there are similar properties that um, Mendeleev's original table have been revised as you've a finding because when you look at it, it looks pretty random, especially when you name the elements. Well, the names are random because yeah. they tend to be named after people or historical names and so forth. But if you look at the properties, um, you see some some 
as you go down line, some similar um, similar properties of alkaloids being in this part, um, metal being this part, noble gas being in this part, you know, uh, transitional stuff. So there, 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 there are property classes that you can see because the right. table sort of organizes in a two-dimensional shape um, grid um, elements in in similarity to their their atomic number, the, the, the number of charges they have in it, as well as 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 the orbital shells. That's more quantum mechanical uh, properties of stuff, which dominates the chemistry. It also has some physical characteristics there. So that's part of the reason why it's still a useful um, chart to mm. to, to do so. When there. when new elements are added, are, are is the periodic table amended? Yes. And so, and so, um, when you know the most recent element one eighteen that was discovered and verified. So it's not just a matter of saying, "Oh, I thought it." You know, but you have to have, you know, um, specifically you want to have someone else comp confirm and stuff and and measure its properties of things in order to, to say mm -hmm. you really found an atom of that of that type. Then it goes through the process of of that being confirmed, um, and once it you know, passes scrutiny. Then, then this gets to be a naming process, and and its and its symbol gets put into a new spot. So right now, positions one through one hundred eighteen are all full, right? They they all mm -hmm. discovered that set, and people are looking for larger and larger uh, um, uh, elements in the periodic table. They're getting harder to find um, for a number of 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 reasons relating to atomic physics. But you know that that it'll it'll go there. But but in a sense. Um, we don't we don't exclude it because because it's too hard for children to memorize. Yeah. Speaking, so, speaking of speaking of physics, if you guys are patrons, you guys will uh, see the amazing, awesome. I've watched it probably twice now, all the way through. Um, Landon did a very awesome talk about nuclear, uh, nuclear bombs and nuclear reactors and all that stuff. And it is it was one, I think that was our first or second thing that we put out on Patreon. So if you guys are not patrons. By all means, hop on, and uh, I think even yeah. at the dollar level, you can you can watch that talk. Yeah, it's yeah, that was a talk on 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 thermal nuclear devices and and talking about the things that aren't reactors, mm -hmm. but the things that have rapid exponential things of of based upon non classified public sources of what those things are and 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 their characteristics and. Do, that's do what you think, so Mikey, that if we put um, Landon and Professor Howe in the same room, it'd be like crossing the streams? And we'd, we'd, either, we'd, we'd create a singularity. Uh, we'd either, we would either <laughs> so, ascend to sort of like eternal beings or be blown up. You'd get no, uh, that's we would get galaxy brain. So 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 I am with a James Webb telescope. What I'm excited about is the puzzles, the questions that that are going to arise from the telescope. Right? Science is about questions. Science values right. questions over uh, supposed answers, right? A great scientist is someone who can ask the right question to the right people at the right time. That's that's why they're, they're, they're great, and so they, they they pose these questions. And so um, it's more than simply Webb giving us pretty spectrums and 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 a narrow few pictures of things. It is the things we don't expect where we say, "Huh, uh, why is that? What is that? That is really weird. Um, is that a one of a kind, or is it?" Or there's something we've not seen before. What's going on here? 
Um, it's those things that are going to probably be the most exciting stuff rather than say, well, there's a comet and it has carbon dioxide. Yeah, we know that. It has water. Yeah, we know that. But what is this, right? Um, the, the, the formations, all the, the models we have of how the first stars form, the first galaxies form, um, we're going to probably find things that say, huh, we didn't expect that. Um, what is that? Why is that? Those are the things yeah. I'm excited about. And in planetary science, um, what is in what kind of chemistry is going on in some of these planets that aren't aren't frozen cryogenic ice balls and aren't boiling magma producing things, but in the middle where the temperatures are right, that the chemicals can dance and form interesting stuff, right? Particularly if we find some self-replicating chemical system, whatever it is, on Earth it's carbon-based things, but whatever it is. Um, that has that has complex evolving chemicals. Um, we're going to uh, we're going to it's the questions that uh, that Webb will pose that I think are going to be quite significant, and that's what I'm excited about mm. to, to, to see is the we didn't expect that sort of thing. I mean, just like just like the accelerating universe when I was going to to you know, college, um, you know, the debate was the universe opened or closed. Well, the answer today that we have is it appears to be accelerating worse than open it's, it's opening up wider and wider and wider and the answer is well why right mm -hmm. what is this dark energy what's this nature of the stuff but then there's also this dark matter which is not dark energy which has which influences gravitational fields but we can't see it and what is that right so yeah. so um well the james Webb telescope won't be able to see we presume dark matter because it's dark matter appears to be to not react with 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 light electromagnetic radiation right. um it has gravitational influence and so we might be able to see motions or or or, or shifting of, of something in the process of form galaxy forming will tell us about the mass distribution and the gravitational field distribution which will tell us something about the you know do the earth are are, are early galaxies dominated by dark matter and that, that you had a lump of dark matter that, that that normal matter, you know, gravitation got bound to, or did the dark matter find the the, the the normal matter, or what's the thing is we'll we'll find these puzzles going on, and and it's the questions that James Webb will will produce that will turn it into a great telescope. Besides pretty pictures. See what yeah, I, like what, eight hundred months. What a lot. <laughs> Calm down, Mikey. It's not your birthday. <laughs> So it'll be my birthday by the time we get some damn pictures. <laughs> and you'll be 90, 96. But what? what yeah, Orlando, he'll be what, your age, wait. Shut up, you prick. <laughs> um, what I love about actual proper scientists like yourself is the the, the three um, most important words for for you and and guys like you um, and people like you is I don't know. Yes. That is why. And, and, that is why everything. Yes. Everything is a theory. The theory of gravity, because someone could come oh. along and disprove it. You leave it open ended. The theory yes. of evolution. You leave it open ended because someone could come and disprove it. So all these things, where you when, when you when you get these charlatans that sit there with these certainties and they're sitting there going, mm -hmm. "This is fact," and then someone comes along and disproves them, and they then have a go at the person disproving them because it goes against their narrative. It goes exactly. to show that they're a fake actor. They're, they're well, a fake well said. Actor. Well said. Because, you know, science is about questions. Dogma gives you the answers. 
my dogma says, here's the answer, you know, that, but why? Because, because I said so, right? Science <laughs> says, well, what about this, right about? So now in, in science, what we call a theory is a thing that has, that has an astounding amount of experimental evidence yep. to show that it's plausible. However, it's also still falsifiable. So, yes. so the reason why string theory is not really a proper theory is because it's, it is yet to have a test that we can do to say thumbs up, thumbs down, right? So I call it a, a hypothesis at this point. But, 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 but understand when a scientist talks about a, a theory, it's something that has been elevated to the highest level of confidence where, where test over test over test keeps coming up. And so, and so relativity quantum mechanics, yep. evolution, um, these are things that have survived um, hundreds of tests and, and have, a, yeah. have a, 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 a high confidence level, but, 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 but it's not you, dark, but you don't it's have that, you don't, you, you don't have the arrogance of certainty. Yeah. You don't have the yeah. arrogance of certainty. You leave the door no. on the latch for someone to walk through and go, here you go, some yeah. more evidence. And, and if, if it wasn't falsifiable, if yeah. it wasn't for the then it wouldn't be a theory. It wouldn't be scientific, right? Mm -hmm. um, for the set. So, so, um, and, and thing, you know, when I talk about, you know, you know, when I talk about when someone says, well, you know, how the, uh, how old is the Earth? I will say, I'll start off by saying, if our model for how the, the Earth forms is reasonably correct, then data suggests blah, mm -hmm. right? Reason why I don't say number is, first of all, it's not an exact number, but also the fact that I want to 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 say what the question is and mm -hmm. what are our current approaches to to that and and again in science if you get an answer um and it and it fits the current known thing that's nice you just fucking have been of, of more confidence but if you get an answer that is unexpected then people get right excited right when we discovered that the universe the space was accelerating um we didn't expect that and it, 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 we got quite excited, right? Scientists get really excited when they realize they don't know something. Yeah. Because now something a flood of questions comes out. Because mm. a flood of questions come out and, and, and so forth. So, so James Webb Telescope, its greatest achievements will be all these questions that come up when you yeah. think you understand how a star forms, you think you understand how a planet forms, you think you understand how the range of planets are there. James Webb is going to, hopefully if it does its job, Produce questions that'll puzzle you more to say, "Wow, we didn't expect that." Right, and, and that's why you can't get through to theologians because <laughs> we're doing all this stuff to disprove them yeah. every day. And it's <laughs> it, again, it, the dogma says this is what it is. Science says this is a question, and in fact, we value the question over yes. the answer. If you get an answer, um, that's just a merely stepping stone to have more questions. So basically, you're standing by the whole, uh, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Exactly. And, and, you know, and falsifiability, right? Um, so you have, to, you have to talk about how something can be disproved. And so um, my tests on general relativity have been, it would have been great if I found something where the experimental evidence disagreed with uh, theory of relativity, because then... Theory relativity had to be modified or chucked out, right? Um, uh, relativity land, is land, not land, dogma. Can I just, can it's I, it's I a question. Never to speak to my eldest daughter because um, when I say because I said so, um, she comes back. <laughs> 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 Questions. <laughs> I'm fucked. <laughs>
I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to send her a link to this. And I'm like, hey, oh, just, so, when dad starts kicking off, just just play this, okay? Just play this so, clip. So it really is, it is about to go. So that's where, that's why James Telescope, James Webb Telescope was designed to um, understand better questions involving star formation, galaxy formation, planet formation, early planets, early you know stars, early galaxies, and, and, and current planets, comets, those sorts of things to, to, to be able to ask the right questions. So, so, so it's an analysis telescope, not a widespread panoramic thing, a very narrow analysis telescope. So when you know something is there, you can point Jan Webb at it and reanalyze it to a capability we can't do on Earth because of glowy Earth, atmosphere, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, interference with us. So, so it is designed to minimize interference with itself. Designed to to be able to operate. It's we we given the amount of fuel that's on board, we believe we have at least ten years worth of of time on it. And and Mikey, we can come back, um, <laughs> you know, maybe a year from now to talk about well, what has James Webb done, right? No, uh, I'll be out there with my, I got a helicopter. I'm flying up to the satellite <laughs> to kick things off because they're taking too long. It's like you kind of, yes. your helicopter will run out a couple of kilometers away from, from Earth's surface and you've got, you know, a million kilometers to go, million and a half kilometers. So. It'll, well, by the time I get there and back, maybe the pictures will be out by then. <laughs> yeah. Fair so, enough. so, Fair so enough. assembly the They'll, they'll, you'll, get, you'll get a couple of pictures as they're as they're calibrating right now. They got to focus it and cool it down. But you'll get a couple of pictures that'll, that'll come out during that that three to five months um, testing period. Believe me, a lot of astronomers are very impatient as well to be able to get their programs um, started. And uh, but 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 again, um, you know, maybe a year from now we can have a show talk about well, what are the questions that James Webb has opened up, and and what is what are the what are the answers that are expected versus the answers that are unexpected? And probably the cool stuff will be, we didn't expect that sort of thing. So I can't wait for these pictures to come out. It'd just be Mikey on his chaise lounge having a cigarette. Oh, <laughs> and, and understand you know, also the, the spectrum, the spectras, right? Um, the frequency distributions that, that it's going to have are, are not going to be, you know, photogenic, but they'll tell us a lot about about the characteristics of what it was that observed, and then and people we'll ask, well, what is need, that? we'll definitely need help with that, and just you know, figuring out what those yeah. are and interpreting them for the for the for the masses. But yes. I think that would be a really nice thing when when those do come out. If we can have you and us, we can uh, try to figure it out. We can uh, make it a kind of a puzzle. Yeah, Landon, uh, uh, yeah, uh, really uh, key. Yes. yes. And, and so and so right now, for what, what's happening right now with a telescope is besides the cooling down, its, its other next function is to fine tune those mirrors, those special beryllium mirrors that are gold coated. Um, they have these little actuators that can move the mirror um, one ten millionth of a millimeter, 10 nanometers. I mean, that's that that's that that's a what's that in inches? Um, yeah. don't, don't do not pacify him. <laughs> Yeah, really small. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'll get that. I'll get that. Sub, sub, 
you know, a wavelength. Because again, the wavelength of 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 light uh, goes from the visible light goes from about three fifty nanometers to about seven hundred nanometers. This is tuning it to within a fraction of the wavelength of visible light. Right, really, really small sets. So they're going to really dial in the focus, and and that's important because if you want to see, you know, be able to distinguish. The atmosphere of the edge of a planet to the middle of the planet, you need that, you need that focus really sharp. And so they're going to be homing in on on the the, the fine adjustment sharp stuff as well as as testing how far is the field. Typically, if you have a telescope, when it sees first light, you say, okay, here's a star. Um, it's 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 roughly focusing. But at that point, you start to make sure the, the mirror is parallel, things are aligned, and then you start looking at is the field flat. As you have it, look at a general a general area that, that is fairly uniform in brightness, and you see is the corner of this a little bit brighter than this corner, right? Is there is, is this cells a little bit sort of sense of that so you can calibrate the, the, the instrument. And that's part of the science mission. Because the scientists, you just don't know the scientists, they have these things that are just going to be a bunch of noise and, and, and irregular things, so forth. Um, it won't be useful to give the scientists data. And so this, 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 this mission checkout thing, um, they'll try to be as short as possible. It could be maybe as short as three months because we know that's going to be at least the time it's going to take for it to cool down. Um, uh, and it could be long as five months if they have to do fine tuning of stuff. I have a, I have, a couple of images coming out, a couple of spectrum coming yeah. out, um, reports on it, on how sensitive it is, um, those sorts of things, bad pixels, that sort of stuff. I have okay. a prediction. I have a prediction. Uh, the first picture you'll see uh, from the James Webb uh, telescope is basically Mikey looking like your grandma doing her first <laughs> FaceTime holding a jerry can and a wrench. Going yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. But, in his but homemade at least, spacesuit. At least we know they didn't leave the garbage account. bags. <laughs> at least, yeah. at least Mark, Mark, wrapped in tinfoil with a jerry can. <laughs> we know the Swimming. lens cap is is not been left on, right? It'll 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 have stuff there, but but again, it's um, tuning, and calibrating, and and giving that that fine micro adjustments of the of the mirrors and it, and 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 understanding the, the characteristics and capabilities of, of stuff. Um, during the first year's service, there also will be a deep field stuff. There'll be there'll be some of of the you know because again there are there are a bunch of, of, of programs that that have that have come about um, and of the of the um, two hundred and sixty six proposals that have been accepted for using the telescope, um, thirteen programs are are ones that have longer time where there's going to be some. One of the things it's going to do is it's going to stare at a spot um, for a long time to get the kind of the equivalent of the deep field the of deep Hubble. Field, yeah. Except Hubble had has fairly wide range, wide background. This is going to be narrowing in, and so um, there's you know there was a discussion about well what what things should you stare at, and so people introduced proposals, and one of the things for the case of galaxies are some of those in in the Hubble deep field. That has you know some of those really tiny faint red blobs that they say you know here's a galaxy that's that that's you know you know um, twelve billion light years away right and it's just this tiny fuzz thing. 
Well, not only does the, the telescope have a, a much wider mirror, so it can do much fainter, but also has much finer resolution. So instead of having a fuzz galaxy, we'll be able to see some structure of it. And we'll be able to see potentially um, fainter galaxies around it and back of it um, that the Hubble was unable to see, as well as a wider spectrum. So, so um, as well as, for example, I know I have a colleague that um, is going to be looking at um, um, Neptune, because Neptune's a really weird planet in terms of it's it's warmer than what we think it should be. It it its temperature on the surface is hotter than what you would expect if it's merely being heated by the sun. It has receives light from the sun a little faint, but it has a higher temperature, and we're not quite sure why. Um, so I'll so check. I'll go check it out. I'll be right back. So it's 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 uh, it's going to give us some some notions of stuff. But to be able to look at something like um, on Jupiter, the great red spot, the storm that Galileo saw back in the 1600s has been going since that. That's a couple of Earth's diameters in size. Um, it appears to be winding down. Maybe sort of kind of this is color has changed from the days when it was really red to now it's kind of a a, a, a less obvious red spot. Um, but but Webb will be able to point at that spot and look at, at at do a chemical analysis of the upper cloud tops of the of the red spot and give us some notion of what the heck is this storm on Jupiter has been going on for centuries and is it winding down or is it ebb and flow and and what are some of the better chemicals even better than for example the the space probes around it that were able to give us nice pictures because again um, even like the Juno spacecraft, an amazing spacecraft currently orbiting Jupiter that, that dies in deep, um, the, the, the spacecraft is not able to look at these area spectrum to give us some notion of the chemistry of the cloud tops uh, to understand with how um, Jupiter's thing. But looking at Titan, the, 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 the big sort of methane, large um, dwarf planet that orbits Saturn, it is, it's got some really interesting chemistry in its atmosphere. Um, it's seen as sort of a, a early proto-Earth that's been frozen in time. And looking at looking at Europa, this 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 ice ball dwarf planet orbiting Jupiter that appears to have an ocean whose volume is around four to seven times the volume of, of Earth's oceans, right? It's got this vast ocean with this ice sheet on it. And and cracks where 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 the sort of the icebergs crack and stuff comes up, you got this sort of interesting sort of colored goop that's there. We're going to be able to look at the atmosphere of Europa. It's a very thin atmosphere, as it's outgassing and other stuff to try to get some a better notion of what kind of chemical soup might be underneath the surface of Europa. Um, so that we want to send probes there, but it'd be a good idea to have some questions that the probes are trying to to study as opposed to just going there and, and, and hope you can find something. So wow. all these questions it's going to be generating, it's going to be really fantastic to see. Landon, right. this, this has been absolutely insightful. And I, I don't know about the rest of the guys, but I've learned so much about this, this space telescope that we thought was like just a, you know, a gimmick. This is <laughs> it, shit up, real deal kind of. Thank you. So, so let's 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 you know think about yeah. a year from now or so. No, no, where... we, have to, we have to do it on Mikey's birthday. We have to do it on Mikey's birthday. And behind you, you need to have all the images that this <laughs> telescope has taken, and you need to go through one and, by and when one. Is, and what with, with day the laser is Mikey's pointer. Birthday? 
My birthday is August 5th. August 5th. Yeah, and, uh, I think it's a and, Thursday. And there, so, so we'll have some. If that's a Thursday, that would be great. Um, it's either a Thursday or a Wednesday. Mikey's birthday show. That'd be. Uh, but mm-hmm. but 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 August uh, August fifth is is is. Oh, it's a Friday. Um, August is a, is is a Friday. Oh, we can but do Mikey's birthday Eve. <laughs> show. There you go. Like that. So, week. Now, obviously, this is this no, is really ahead. this has been such uh, an insightful episode, and um, yeah. I can't speak for everyone else, but um, well, I have learned. You again. A lot. No, thank and, you. and thank you very much for having me on. Um, I'll point out, say we do the August 5th. That'll just be one month into the science program mm-hmm. or two months of science program. So we won't have much in the way. We'll know about what the telescope is capable of doing and some of the, we'll be able to talk from its first sets and stuff. So, so if we talk about August 5th in 2023, we'll have then a full year of stuff. So both, we usually do both things. Is it, telescope working? How good is it? Um, what are some of the first images to kind of give you some analysis of, of exciting stuff, some of its first data coming out. Um, now, understand that, that we might not have science papers because the way that James Webb is working is a number of the scientists, if it's your, your proposal, you get the first, even though the data is available to everyone, you have the first right to publish on it, right? So right. you don't poach on someone else's program. But then, after a period of time, anyone can 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 use the data um, for for that. So it's not that the data is secret, but that the people who put the effort to get a program accepted are the ones that have the first right to to publish. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it may be it may be by the time of Mike's birthday, we'll have had the first science programs, but we won't may not have the published papers yet. But we should talk about that. And a year from then, then we'll have some of the things where so. So yeah, August fifth will be the about the telescope and how well is it working and what are the, some of the first images that it's produced. To the year from now is well, what questions do we have that we didn't know to even ask? Um, so thank you again, and yeah. uh, please, uh, Landon, where please can continue to enjoy your... our favorite universe. Landon, where can anyone find your work and uh, get hold of you if you want to plug yourself mm-hmm. and. Well, okay, so so I have I have a a, a channel that uh, a a channel that I'm that I'm developing with my producer David Innes, um called Our Favorite Universe. Right now, you'll just see two videos about making espresso. Right, um, <laughs> my my producer uh, had, first of all had 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 COVID and he had a an, another appendicitis and so forth. And then I've been involved with the C contest. So so stay tuned. That program will, will, will be will, 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 will come there. Um, there is a I have a very old school um, uh, website. Uh, is, it, is it on Cinefilm? Um, it's uh, our it's our favorite universe, right? Yes. Okay. Yep, so and then my web page is did I get the right thing? Um, uh, copy. Let me make sure I got the right. Uh, link there um the the, the web page should be in the link there so that's that's, that's a web page for just you know that's a uh whoops i did i typed that let me let me do that let me correct that let me correct that thing so it is it is it is here um that's even old http thing so that's just my general page that's 
you know, about me. But look forward to our favorite universe because I'll be the the primary focus will be news from our favorite universe. I'll take and it. and Mikey's birthday newsletter. Absolutely, because because what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to say here's a news event that's scientific and here's why it is interesting. Right, that'll be a couple <laughs> minutes. But but those are in the can. Those are producing right now. I'm I'm focusing on the I'm focusing on the international obfuscated C code contact. And you might say, what in the heck is that? Um, that's this thing here. This is the other. Um, I am the co-founder of the oldest contest on the internet. Um, it's, a, it's a C programming programmers contest. It started back in 1984, and we're retooling. What? So I'm working on. That was yeah. three years old. Yeah, and so so it's it is a it is a collection of C programs, really style C programs that are extraordinary. They're they're, they're small, compact, but people do things like write programs to do chess, flight simulator in in only like couple thousand characters of source code, right? It is, it's, it's amazing collections of things. Um, so on the Lambda Cox's stuff that's on, so look at some of the winners there, um, extraordinary what they do. And so we're retooling that. So right now I'm focusing on retooling that contest to have a 28th contest come up. Um, I'm working with Dave McInnes, who's now out of the hospital for the second time. And uh, we're getting that program going forward. And um, that's about that's about it. Um, thanks again for this wonderful contest. No, uh, no, the, thank, the thank you, Landon. And, and um, this has been episode one, series two, season two, as they say in the states, mm. of uh, the BIM podcast. Um, so, Yay. thank you, Landon, um, and for Mikey, for Brenna. Bonjour, Tan. Thank you for actually coming. Oh. <laughs> or Ozzy. Ozzy, he's so cute. This has been the BIM podcast. Welcome to season two. And um, yeah, thank you very much for enjoying this. And uh, well, watching. <laughs> yeah. And I hope you continue to enjoy my favorite universe. Uh, there's a link I put in the description about where is web. And what's it doing right now? You can put that on the link as well if you want to it's see. It's all there, mate. It's all there. What's all right. what's there? So thanks again. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Cheerio. Bye.